0: Well, today we continue our series on the Apostles' Creed as we think about all of the things we say we believe when we share in that together. This week, the phrase, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Even though This isn't specifically connected with the season of Lent, which we entered into on Ash Wednesday a week and a half ago. It is connected very clearly with a sacrificial focus of Lent. It's the season where some people choose to give up something for Lent. This part of the creed focuses us on Christ's choice to give up everything for us. Let's begin this morning by reading from Matthew chapter 27. Follow along as we read the scripture together. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, in the Apostles' Creed, we acknowledge that Jesus suffered, the suffering ending with death by crucifixion. And we can even place his suffering... In a historical context, when we connect it with Pontius Pilate, the governor of that day, which is historically documented. But how often do we stop and really think about what all that suffering was like? My guess is not very often. Nobody likes to sit around and think about suffering. Several years ago, when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, the one thing it did more than anything else is vividly portray the suffering of Christ. I remember, as I watched that movie, how I was impacted. At first, I thought, man, they're really being quite excessive, going to extremes to make a point of The suffering. And then I realized, oh, that was the point. To remind us of how extreme the suffering of Christ really was. The suffering I don't particularly want to have to think about very often was all of a sudden on the screen right there in front of me. And I couldn't just rush past the suffering to the resurrection like I often might want to do. We know about Jesus being beaten and nailed to the cross and hanging there suffering for hours and finally dying an agonizing death, but we summarize it with the simple statement, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and we seem to go right on without stopping to think about what that might really mean. As I looked through the scriptures, I saw a picture I don't always want to think about regarding the suffering of Jesus. The scripture says, They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. In my mind, I think about Jesus being whipped. I guess because of the scripture in Isaiah that we read together earlier tells us by his stripes we are healed. I picture Jesus being whipped, which would leave stripes on his back. And that may very well have been the case because the scripture also said Pilate had him flogged, which easily can mean whipped. But can you imagine someone taking multiple strands of material all put together in one big whip, and all of a sudden you see and you hear stripes down the back of Jesus. It says they also struck him on the head again and again with a staff. Again, can you imagine? They're hitting him. They're banging on him. Maybe they poke him with it. Jesus. Enduring. Abusive. Suffering. I can't imagine taking either one much less both, and then being nailed to the cross to end it all. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. That sounds awfully simplified when we think about all that it really meant. I think we periodically need to stop and consider what suffered under Pontius Pilate really means. Then, after suffering through the torture, came the actual crucifixion. The whip, the rod, they were just the prelude. Again, it's easy to hear one word, crucified, and then go on with the rest of the creed. But I want you to hear what crucified really means. I want to share with you a medical doctor's description of what really happens during a crucifixion. I've read this several places. I'm not even sure who to credit it with at this point. I've seen it several times. But I want you to hear it as we consider what we're saying when we say we believe he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Just a warning, the medical description is not pretty in a little graphic. This doctor describes it this way. Jesus is thrown backward with his shoulders against the wooden crossbeam. The soldier feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The crossbeam is then lifted into place on the upright. The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. Leaving the knees moderately flexed, he is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward, to avoid the stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, nodding them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Periodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with fluid and begins to compress the heart. It's almost over now. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. With one last surge of strength, he again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his last cry. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. All that is what we say we believe Jesus went through when we say he was crucified. What an amazing way to show his love, the love of God for you and me. What a price to pay as he fulfilled all that was prophesied centuries before. Isaiah wrote, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. But we're not finished with this week's part of the creed. The statements in the creed about Jesus being dead and buried are also important. See, if we don't believe Jesus was really dead, physically dead all the way dead, then that takes away the possibility of him being raised from the dead. We believe he was completely dead, not just swooned, not passed out from suffering and then resuscitated three days later like some people would tell the story who try to rationalize away the resurrection. He was dead. And the fact that he was buried in a grave like many people would have been that in that day. That's also important. All the historically verifiable practices of the day bear witness to the fact that he really was dead, really was buried. Actually laid in a tomb wrapped in burial clothes. It makes a difference in the story and in our beliefs that he really was dead and buried those are important details in and of themselves but even more when we get to the phrase we'll look at next week but let's don't go there quite yet we really do need to stop and consider the suffering and death of our lord that's where the price was paid where the blood was bled When he suffered in our place for our debt accumulated from a life of sin and self-focus and he died the death we should die spiritually because of our sins which stand in direct opposition to the life God created us to experience in Christ Jesus a holy blessed life that we're called to. Why do we need to take time and consider what we believe about suffering and death? What's the point of going through those cruel details? Well, see, this is not just about what Jesus went through. It's also about why he went through it all, essentially purchasing our life with his. While a part of me thinks that sounds a bit simplified... We do have to understand that our debt was paid, laid on him, paid with that sacrifice. Listen to the scriptures from the New Testament where Paul repeatedly talks about this and then also in the book of Acts we'll read it from from the author there. Listen to the language. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. And then Ephesians chapter 1. The Spirit is God's guarantee, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And then these words to the leaders of the early church in the book of Acts. Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood. There's no question that Scripture reminds us we were bought at a high price. Purchased with His own blood. Now, here's the question that's been bouncing around in my mind all week. Kep wishing it would go away, it wouldn't. You know how when you buy something in a store, or even maybe more so, when you buy something online and you haven't seen it, it arrives and you open it and there's often that little evaluative thought process in which we wonder if we really got what we paid for. Was this really worth the cost? The question that's been bouncing around my head all week, as I considered our lives, our church. If we were bought at a high price, did Jesus really get what he paid for? Was it worth the cost? question wouldn't go away where I kept landing is this at one level the answer to that is is determined every day by the lives we live in in faithful service by the way we love God and love people by the way our hearts and lives honor the one who paid the price but on a much bigger level I realize we can't do enough. We can't love enough. We can't serve enough to justify the price paid. Now, the good news is God operates by grace. Not whether we do enough, love enough, serve enough. God operates in grace. And by grace, God declares that his children are worth the price. Not because of who we are and what we do, but because of who Christ is and what he's already done. As he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. His loving action is a declaration that you, that we, are worth the high price he paid when we were, according to the scripture, purchased with his own blood. Jesus has already done the work to purchase his church. The price is already paid. We read about it, we've thought about it this morning. My desire is to live a God-honoring life that shows that I understand the price that was paid and I am ever grateful. My desire is that we, as the people of God, bought and paid for, will live such God-honoring lives. That one, show we understand the cost. We understand the high price paid. And two, that we are forever grateful for that incredible gift that came in the sacrifice that we've considered this morning. I want to live That life of gratitude, of thanks, of celebration, of honoring God in a way that shows we understand the high cost. I want to live that life, don't you? Let's go and live that life this week. And understand it is all possible because of the grace offered to us in the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Let's pray. Lord, thank you seems to be not nearly enough for us to say, but thank you. We don't particularly enjoy thinking about what it means to suffer as Jesus suffered. There's nothing pleasant about hearing crucifixion described. In detail. But we know there was nothing pleasant as Jesus gave his life out of love for us. Totally amazing. We are so grateful that in Christ you were willing to pay the high price for your church, us. Purchased by his blood. Help us, God, to live lives that demonstrate our gratitude for that love, for that gift, for that sacrifice. We can't say enough, we can't do enough, but we do offer our hearts to you this morning in grateful prayer and in thanksgiving for all you have done and continue to do to make life in you possible